Hi, I'm Randy. And I'm Claire. And you're listening to Killer Vibes, a true crime podcast. <laughs> Are you ready to figure out what happens? I don't know. I know. <laughs> I'm, I'm like, I'm ready to be satisfied and to have somebody be put in jail, mostly Travis. And just, I just want to know what happens. So let's talk about it. I'll tell you. Okay. This is part three of the Kenya Moan Hay story. When we left off in part two, Travis had just decided to come over here to Fort Collins where there's a bunch of people that fit the profile of his victims. Yeah. So everyone's afraid. That's where we're at. Um, Everyone's afraid. And let's talk about it. Alrighty. The Fort Collins police take advice the advice from the Denver police and they do keep surveillance on Travis. But at first it's not like they're following him everywhere he goes because that's, you know, Resources, money. Right. So nothing happens for a while. But then on the night of the 4th of July, something crazy and awful and terrible happens. And I'm going to warn you, it's going to be sad for a second, but we'll get back to the interesting conversation after we're sad. Okay. (laughs) Lydia Tillman, who was a graduate student here at Colorado State, was attacked in her apartment on the 4th of July. And... The attacker, which, shocker, is Travis, met Lydia at the City Park 4th of July celebration. And later that night, he raped her, beat her, covered her body in bleach, and set her apartment on fire. Oh, what? That's a, okay, that's a, that's a lot of violence in, on one person. And the bleach, I hate the bleach. The bleach is like. I don't know why I'm like like stuck on the bleach part of that, but uh, yeah, no, that's, oh my God. Okay. And Lydia, who is somehow still alive after this, jumps out of her second story apartment window to safety, which I don't know how safe that is, but. Right. Oh my God. I said to safety, but she jumped out of a window. She was still alive? She survived and found the strength, I don't know how, to crawl to the window and throw her body out of it. And we later find out her injuries were so severe that she had to learn how to speak again because her jaw was shattered. She had to do physical therapy to be able to walk again. Like all her ribs are like messed up. Like I don't know how she got to the window and pushed herself out of it, but she did. Adrenaline, I guess. What a woman. Okay. I know. When the Fort Collins police are investigating Lydia's attack, they remember that the police in Denver were like, hey, you got a weirdo in your town. So they... (laughs) A direct quote. Yeah. (laughs) From the Denver police. (laughs) Um, So they put two and two together, called Detective Garule, and the second they mentioned the bleach, he's like, that's Travis. Yes. See, they all got yeah, a weird it was little right of, trait. It was right of you to be weirded out by the bleach. <laughs> and so during this interaction, Garule remembers that he has Travis's DNA on file, which has since, you know, previously been unhelpful because they don't have anything to compare it to. So he, you know, hadn't used it yet. And he asked the Fort Collins people if they had any DNA from the scene. And they searched the scene. There's none there because he doused it in bleach. And burned it. And burned it. But they find some under Lydia's fingernails. (laughs) 
Ooh, such a good thing to do. Scratch your attackers. Yes. Do it. They, so they're like, okay, let's figure out this DNA thing. And they send it to get tested. But unfortunately, we are not living in the world of law and order special victims unit. No. <laughs> where that happens in like two minutes. And it takes a little bit of time. While everyone is waiting for the results, Fort Collins police put really heavy surveillance on Travis. Now they are following him everywhere he goes. And one night he's like in Old Town being obnoxious and like jumping on cars and just being like drunk and just being drunk. Annoying. Just like a normal drunk guy. And he, which I mean, isn't that weird? We are a college town. Yes, that's fair. But he's like a lot of people jumping around. He's like older. And so he starts following a, a woman, like following her, where yeah. she everywhere she goes. Oh, and they don't want to know that Travis is or that they he don't they don't want Travis to know that they are following him. Probably so a good idea. They think of this idea, which I think is really smart. They go up to Travis and they just speak to him casually. And the whole intention is to give like the woman some time to get away. Oh, that's really Because they don't even know if she knows that she's being followed. So I mean, she probably doesn't. Yeah. So they distract him for a couple minutes and they're like, hey, Travis. Or no, they're like, hey, random stranger. <laughs> oh, hey, you. you. And they ask what his name is. And he says his name is Travis Kennedy when his real name is Travis Forbes. And they just chat with him for a second and are like, are you OK? Because you're jumping on cars and being annoying. And he's like, I'm fine. So that interaction's over. The woman gets away. Yay. They, Police save the day very yep. subtly. They continue following him. He almost immediately starts following another woman. So they're, I know. So they're like, clearly he's in a state of mind where us talking to him and being aware that he's out here isn't spooking him in any way. Right. And they just think that he's going to do something because he's so insistent about immediately after they talk to him, goes and follows another woman. So they arrest him on the misdemeanor charge of giving a false name because he said his name was Travis Kennedy, which I didn't even know was a thing. Me either. That's neat. Weird. I don't know. It's I don't know how I feel about it. But right. In this case, I like it. Yeah, because it could go both ways where it's, you know, right. It could be used for very (laughs) Very stupid reasons. In this case, it was helpful. Yeah. So. They finally have him in custody and they know that they've got to get their crap together quickly because you can't really hold someone forever on a misdemeanor charge. Mm -hmm. And they are dangerously close to having to let him go when the DNA results come back. Thank you, God. Which I just said that like still gave me chills when I said it. Like they're literally like have to they're like about to let him go because they can't oh boy. legally hold him anymore and yeah. the lab's like we've got the answer <laughs> don't worry don't you worry. can make a formal arrest <laughs> yep because it is a match clearly and so with the dna as kind of leverage they start the formal interrogation process and it really doesn't take that much pressure like pushing and Travis admits to everything. What a little weenie. <laughs> I just like, I would call him something oh else, gosh. but I'm not allowed to. And um, I did not expect you to use that word. That was funny. <laughs> Sorry. I don't know why that's the one I decided. But um, yeah, what a, what a weakling. So, I mean, I'm glad he admitted to it. Yeah, but... same. Like, in, like, tell them the truth. Please confess. That would be great. And, um, 
for so I can kind of see why he admits to Lydia because they're like we have your DNA at the crime scene. Yeah, that's or hard under to, like, her fingernails. That's hard to ignore. Yeah, and but with Kenya, they don't have anything really. So no. Um, Tony was like, "How did you get him to admit to Kenya?" And they said, one de- detective's like direct quote was like, "By the grace of God." Like, they have no clue. They had three of Kenya's hairs in Travis's van. That's the only physical evidence they have. And two of them are in the front. One of them is in the back, which makes sense because he said he gave her a ride. So that's not even that. Again, that's all circumstantial. And it corroborates what he t- already yeah, told so the police. It's not that helpful. So no. they're like, what the heck? That's crazy. <laughs> if she if they found her blood or something, that would be different. Yeah. But it's just hair. So So Travis tells them what happened that night. He said that he did in fact see Kenya walking alone and did offer her a ride. And that it really was genuine at first. Like he did just want to help her. And that she passed out in his van and that he was essentially presented with an opportunity to commit a gruesome crime, and he did. He took her body to the back of his van and began sexually assaulting her when she like came to and started fighting him off. But she's a really small girl. She's like, I think like five foot tall, 100 pounds, and she just is impossible to fight someone right. off when you're that small yeah. and they're that much larger than Which you. Which makes me feel very scared for my well-being. I know, because you're a tiny person. <laughs> and he strangled her and stored her body in the freezer before disposing of it. And uh, Detective Garule explained that the reason that the ice chest was like taped shut is because, I mean, you she's a small girl, so you can fit her body in there, but... Her body at rigor mortis had set in, so it was like pushing the like thing open, and he had to duct tape it shut, which is just a little gross. Yeah, very disturbing image. Mm-hmm. Okay, decompress. That was a lot. Yeah, that was take a deep horrible. breath. <laughs> um, so Travis did not know Kenya or Lydia. They were random victims, as far as we know. However, they were not his first victims. Travis has a fairly extensive criminal history that dates back to his teenage years. Now, he's never murdered anyone, but when he was <laughs> until before that, Kenya. but when he was 17, Travis broke into 16 homes in Fort Collins and stole more than $15,000 worth of items. And one of like he stole gross items like women's underwear. What is and, with that? Like why? It's like ugh. I don't know. And while he was on probation for this burglary spree, he was arrested for criminal harassment. And he had also broken the rules of probation um, by carrying a knife, which was against his setup probation thing. And he broke curfew 43 times, which when you're like when you're in the juvenile system, which he was because he was 17, they can essentially give you a lot of rules, including home rules. Like you have to be home by this time. And he didn't do it 43 times. And How long was he on probation for that? I don't know because he broke it and they ended up, well, he had a revocation, clearly, oh, 43, clearly. 43 revocations. Yeah. And they. Well, I'm um, just thinking like if it was like a six month period, then 43 isn't a lot, isn't a yeah. ton. But if it was like 
like a three-month period. That's almost the entire time. Well, regardless, probation is for people that can follow rules, and he yeah, can't. and he can't So they put him in communi- community corrections, which is essentially like a halfway house, and, and they it's just like a more intense version of probation. Right. And he manages to stay out of trouble for a, a while, but then in 2004, he pleads guilty to harassment again after throwing rocks at women joggers. What? I know. What, what is with the male serial killers and they're just like weird hatred of women? Like, we just want to live our lives. Like, we're human beings on this planet, too. Don't throw rocks at us while we're running. We didn't do anything to you. Sorry. I know. And like, he, what the heck? He said that he was just, um, like, that it accidentally hit them. Like, he's just... Ugh, bullshit. <laughs> and the next time he comes into contact with police is after Kenya's disappearance. So it seems to me like a classic case of escalation. We see this in many murder stories where the murderer, you know, has like an urge to commit crimes, which I don't know could be mostly, I I tend to believe in all cases, brought on by mental health issues, something psychological. I agree with that, yeah. you, it seems to me like, you know, they commit crimes get that satisfaction have to commit larger crimes to get that same satisfaction to the point where they're murdering people yeah it's like a weird version of an adrenaline junkie right and so i think that that's probably what happened here and obviously there's no trial (laughs) because he he confesses confesses, yeah but i wish there was because i would have loved to watch (laughs) detective gurule's testimony oh my gosh but Travis is serving a 48-year sentence for raping and attempting to murder Lydia and a life sentence for Kenya's murder, which he agreed to plead guilty to in exchange for no death penalty. Travis having made this kind of plea deal to not have to get the death penalty, I thought it would be fun to have a conversation about the death penalty. So, Claire, tell me what you think about it. Okay. Um, well, the death penalty clause and I have had a very tumultuous relationship. Um, so <laughs> I come from a conservative background, um, and with most cases, the death penalty tends to be more favored by conservatives. And um, just with that knowledge and understanding of how the world worked and just the place that I grew up in, I tended to have more conservative viewpoints. And I supported the death penalty for a long time. And then recently, um, and for those of you who don't know me, which is pretty much all of you, um, I am Catholic and I grew up in the Catholic church. Um, I went to Catholic school. Um, I still practice. And the Catholic church didn't really have a lot to say about the death penalty. Um, uh, We've had a couple popes that weren't super awesome, Um, but this um, current pope, Pope Francis I, is wonderful. Yeah, he's and, awesome. Yeah, no, he's great. I really, really like him. And he I'm reminds, not even Catholic and I like I, I he's know. so cool. <laughs> yeah, no, he's he's a really great leader. Um there's still some things that have happened during his um during his I don't know, it's not rain. That's wrong. Administration. <laughs> yes, I guess. Um uh that have been a little off putting. Um just like so they had all of the cases that dealt with um 
the, the spotlight investigation. The spotlight investigation, yeah, and the pedophilia in the Catholic Church. This was before Pope Francis took over, but Pope Francis did, in fact, cover up another molestation charge for a bishop in Europe, and he sent sent him away, and um, that was highly publicized and he obviously apologized for that and everything. But something that he said, I think it was last year, he said that the Catholic Church does not support capital punishment. And he gave the reason saying, like, there's 10 rules that have been set down to humanity via the Lord. <laughs> um, literally, there's only 10 of them. And I tell people that all the time. I'm like, there's 10 like get with the program if you want to be a good person just follow the 10 rules they're not hard to follow come on and one of them is thou shalt not kill and there's no sub clauses for that there's no exceptions or anything it's just like a one sentence thing and I think that because of my beliefs and my support of the Catholic Church and the reforms that they've made recently I personally have a problem with the death penalty. Um, I'm not a huge fan of it. Um, However, I tend to be more in favor of it when it comes to really hardcore serial killers. Um, But as that opinion has been sitting in my head, I've started to realize, as I've actually been working on this podcast and done some research Um, and looked into a few different serial killer cases where they've just gotten life in prison without the the option of parole, um, that they have been using them for psychological research so that we can understand why these crimes are happening and how we can prevent them and what to look out for in these people. Um, So I tend to... not support the death penalty. I'm not a huge fan of capital punishment. I'm really glad that it is delegated out on a state level and that the people in each individual state can vote on whether or not it should be legal. Um, Based on what I believe and what the Catholic Church has said and on the research that I've done, I can tentatively say that I do not support capital punishment. But that's yeah. my spiel. Um, yeah, so, well, Randy, okay, so there's my whole deal. So tell me about your why. Like, why do you oppose the death penalty? Because I know that's something you are strongly um, opposed to. Right. And so I'm not religious. Um, <laughs> I don't practice any religion, so I don't have that factor. But my main thing is that our justice system sucks. It's flawed. It often does not deal out justice. It's biased. It's just there's so many complex issues with it. And I'm not saying that, like, I don't even know if there's a situation in which it could be perfect because people are running it and people are biased and people have different frames of references. So I just think that since it's pretty much impossible to have a perfect justice system, that Mm -hmm. we should not have something like capital punishment, which gives people discretion on whether or not to sentence someone to death to end their life. Right. It makes no I it must doesn't make sense to me when we know that there are people who are exonerated of their crimes all the time. Right. And that statistic while like how you said there was like a hundred and Yes, yeah. I was telling Claire earlier, there's in 2017 there were 139 people exonerated 
of their crimes. And I don't I doubt that all of those people were on death row, but it just shows that the there is potential to right. wrongfully convict someone. A lot of it. <laughs> That's yeah. a lot of people. Yeah. And, you know, like 139, it's like 139 out of the, you know, and millions that, and millions. But that's but like that's, the same number-ish every year around yeah, that number. Absolutely. And n- the entire popla- population of the United States is not incarcerated. So that's based off of all of the people that are in prison. And so I think that's a pretty, that's worrisome. Even if there was like two people that had been exonerated, I, I think yeah. it's fair to say there's still two people that where their cases were not fair or they had to be appealed and then they were completely exonerated. And we talk about a case yeah, um, we, this season where someone is exonerated of a crime after 10 years of serving in prison. Yeah, so, we live in Fort Collins, which has one of the most, I think, talked about wrongful convictions, which is that right. of Tim Masters. And we're going to cover it later in the season. But he spent 10 years, like you said, in jail for a crime he didn't do. There was no physical evidence in his case. And he's a white guy. Yeah. So can you imagine the treatment that, that you know, other demographics are facing when yeah. it comes to convictions I just think that it's very evident and I don't think it can be disputed that our justice system is unjust in many cases sometimes it's awesome we have to have it I, it's a necessity right and we do it, see very successful trials like what just happened yes. with the Kenya Monhe case but it's just really not great a lot of the no. time and I don't no. think we should have the potential to let it lead to killing someone. So that's my main thing. But my other thing is that I tend to believe that you don't just wake up and murder someone. Like something is psychologically, mentally wrong with you and that those are the issues we need to be addressing as opposed to whether you're taking up space in our prison or not. Like let's address you as a human and what mental health issues led you to murder 20 people or one person or whatever the case is. Right. It's not an excuse, but it is something to note. Anyway, it's a very <laughs> it's a very complicated topic. Yeah. And if you ever want to talk about it, hit us up. Hit us up. <laughs> All right. So, yeah. so um, going back to the story, as part of Travis's agreement um, to not get the death penalty, he had to show authorities where he discarded of Kenya's body, which I know was bothering you. You want to guess where her body is? See, I keep on thinking about his random side trip to Kingsburg. You're right. <laughs> like, ding, ding, ding. Like, uh, I just feel like that would be a good place to, this is horrible, to dump a body. Yep. Because yeah. it's not even, it's kind of close to Denver, but not really. It's kind of close to the interstate, but not really. Yeah. It's just like a random town. And he doesn't, re- does he have any connection to Kingsburg other than no. his family being in Fort Collins? No, which is not even close to Keensburg. No. They that Keensburg, was the reason. Sorry, that's the reason why why they were um, freaking out about why he was there is because there was no reason for him to be there. Right, and it's not like he's selling granola in Keensburg <laughs> at like eleven o'clock at night. I guess he could have been. I don't know, but but um, he was not. He didn't have a reason for <laughs> yes, being there. No, but yeah. So that's where her body was. It was um like buried by a tree just off the side of the street. And they were able to, oh, something weird. So he he left his credit card or debit card, what a card with his name on it what with her idea. body, like buried it with her body so that if, and he said this, like, if someone found her, I deserved to be caught. 
he was like, it wasn't that I was bragging about it. I just think that if y'all found her, then in, like, good for you. I deserve to be. This isn't a treasure hunt. Isn't this weird? What the heck? Yeah. Ugh, it was gross. So that's what a really heck? weird way of thinking. Yeah. And I mean, I mean, in retrospect, he could have buried the body anywhere I know. <laughs> in Keensburg. So the fact that he planted evidence to, again, incriminate himself, it really does feel like he's like, oh, Good job. Here's your prize. I'm the killer. Like, yeah, it's really gross. That's really horrible. I and don't understand it. I don't I don't like it. No. And when he got to the detective Garule was like, I don't think you're going to tell me where her body is. Like, I don't believe yeah. that you're going to go through with it. And when they got Garule. there, he just Garule said that Travis just got out of the car and like screamed, like let out a giant like scream and then said, like, I got silent. And then he was like, you're standing on top of her body. It's right there. So Jesus. he's very dramatic. And I know. How creepy is that? It's, it's like straight out of a movie. That's creepy. like seven. Like, what's in the <gasps> box? <laughs> oh my God, I don't like it. It's like, oh my God. Oh my God. I love that you. movie. So at the sentencing hearing, Travis actually made a statement. He said, what happened to Kenya was a horrific, horrific crime. I will never have words to express my apology. It was, I was horrible. I was cowardly. I didn't mean to do it. I didn't plan it, but I took a life and I'm so sorry. Which, ew, we don't really care. So Lydia also made a statement. So Kenya, or I mean Lydia, she couldn't speak because her jaw was shattered. But she wrote a letter and had her dad read it at the sentencing hearing. And it said, my, or it said, Travis Forbes, you have caused me no harm. My spirit, my soul, and my mind remain untouched. May you find peace in this life. I think that what she was, you know, getting out is her physical body isn't what matters. It's her right. spirit and her. Exactly. Exactly. Which was way too strong for him to have to, messed it up. Exactly. Kenya's family is incredibly admirable for their resilience as well. They started the Kenya Monhe Foundation, which is a nonprofit that offers resources to women and families of missing people. And I know this story is really sad, but I want to end just by expressing how inspired and moved I am by Lydia's strength and the strength I know that Kenya would have exhibited if she had survived. Right. As women, we constantly have to be you know, have our guards up and it's not uncommon for women to be attacked and raped and killed. And although that is the case, we can sort of find like warm fuzzies knowing that justice is served in some of these cases and that there are women walking away from these terrible situations and becoming role models and examples of just how courageous and powerful women can be. And Kenya exhibited that her entire life. And Lydia, I mean, all I can yeah. say is you go, girl. I know, right? That's the story of Kenya Monhe and Lydia Tillman. Um, thank you for listening to our very first episode of Killer Vibes, a true crime podcast. We hope that you continue listening. Next up, we've got Ed Kemper. So it's going to be a fun time, you guys. <laughs> <laughs> Please tune in for our next episode. And thanks for listening. Yep. Bye. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>